Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I think I was one year older than Bill Frawley was during the second season of I Love Lucy when we shot the movie. And I can kind of relate to a guy who's been around show business a while and is over certain aspects of it. Hey, this is Ben Mankiewicz. I spoke recently with J.K. Simmons, the Oscar-winning actor who plays William Frawley in Being the Ricardos. That's the new movie from Amazon. We talked about Fred and Ethel Mertz, about Bill Frawley's relationship with Vivian Vance, and also what it's like stepping into the shoes of one of the most famous character actors of all time. J.K. Simmons, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. So our focus, we're going to talk about your career a bit, but our focus is playing uh, Bill Frawley and being the Ricardos. You have, whether uh, by design or by accident, I suspect by design, uh, stayed away from playing known figures, whether historical figures or just famous people. Is there a hesitation with playing historical figures and and why the change then uh, to play William Frawley? Yes, there has been historically a uh, uh, hesitation on my part, uh, an avoidance. It's not my favorite thing as an audience either. I, I find it hard to take that additional step of the willing suspension of disbelief that is required. And, you know, the, the short and really 90% uh, accurate answer to the why is just Aaron Sorkin. His assurance, first of all, to, to all of us, all the four of us playing these iconic actors slash characters, um, his, his assurance that he wasn't looking for an impressionist. And then, you know, the genius of what he put on the page were uh, all it took to convince me. You uh, have worked with Aaron Sorkin uh, before, but it didn't have a glorious ending. Share that story, if you would. Well, I was uh, a theater actor, had been a theater actor for almost 20 years and got an audition to be a replacement bit player and understudy in the uh, Broadway production of A Few Good Men, which was written by some kid named Aaron from Westchester. And I, uh, I read the play and realized that I was reading not just a work of genius, but reading a character that I felt 100% capable of and connected to every syllable that came out of Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Jessup's mouth just made sense to me. And um, 
I later had the opportunity to go on as the understudy and do several performances. And Aaron came, and which is not typical for the playwright to come, you know, nine months into the run and watch some understudy go on as the, you know, supporting lead. And uh, and we just, you know, we had a, a just a beautiful meeting of the minds and hearts and souls. And it was, to this day, I, I, I still get goosebumpy talking about it. It was maybe the highlight of my career as an actor still. This was 1990. It was just a great wedding of uh, actor and character. And then, of course, when the actor I was understudying was leaving the show, they had to replace him and Aaron and Brad Whitford, who was playing the the lead at the time, uh, were sort of in my corner to be the guy. And I ended up not being the guy because they needed to get a guy with some name recognition, which I certainly did not have in 1990. And I was uh, heartbroken and uh, and went to my agent and said, I need another job. I got I can't, I got to get out of there having been passed over. And uh, my next job ended up being the job on which I met my lovely wife and the mother of our children. So the story does have a happy ending. The story definitely has a has a happy ending. Uh, Ron Perlman was the actor you understudied for. And by the way, the role we're talking about, Colonel Jessup, that's the Jack Nicholson part that everybody knows from the movie. You guys who were in the play, you still look at the movie and think, uh, yeah, okay, good. But you, you should have seen the play. Absolutely. I think that's uh, anyone who was in the play will have that uh, that same perspective. And I mean, taking something from the, from the stage to the screen is always a, a a difficult prospect and it's a wonderful movie. It's, it's genuinely a a really, really wonderful movie, but uh, the immediacy of the play, the the sort of purity of the play from our perspective uh, is something that was unrecreatable on screen. Okay, so Aaron Sorkin then draws you to say, okay, I'll play uh, this known figure, William Frawley, Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy. Once you have the part and it's a real person, how do you go about uh, unpacking the character of Frawley? Uh, Well, first of all, I respond to the text that immediately came in from my friend Alan Filderman, who's a casting director in New York and who is one of those guys, and most of us in the business have, at least one friend who was the I Love Lucy nerd. So Alan said, I have six books that you have to read. Come get them, and I'm going to tell you everything I know about Bill Frawley and Vivian Vance and, you know, everything having anything to do with I Love Lucy. So uh, I had a wealth of research material at my fingertips immediately and and just dove into, uh, interestingly, Everybody's perspective on William Frawley, except William Frawley's, uh, because he didn't do an autobiography or, or even do much in the way of interviews and things. He was a, a kind of a non-showbiz guy. He hung out with jocks and golfers and ballplayers and uh, gamblers and lowlifes and barflies, and uh, um, wasn't uh, wasn't doing the talk shows and and all that kind of thing. So. I actually, in retrospect, and even at the time, think it was more valuable in learning sort of who this guy was and how to try to get inside him. It was more valuable learning about him from other people's perspectives. Because when you get a consistent perspective from Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and Jess Oppenheimer and Vivian Vance, who couldn't stand Bill Frawley, then you realize there's a real consensus there and there are things that... uh, 
that enabled me to feel like I was uh, getting the hang of the guy. Bill? Bill. Is she talking to me? Yeah. So she knows I'm here, she can see me? Yes. Are you drunk? It's 10 a.m., Vivian, so, you know, of course. So when you were doing that, all that reading, the six books, everything you read about Frawley, did that paint a, a more complicated portrait than just curmudgeon that Vivian Vance loathed? Uh, well, not in the Vivian Vance books. Uh, it was, <laughs> <laughs> sure, okay. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty straightforward there. And it was mutual, you know. I mean, the, the story that is that now I realize is somewhat well-known with people who uh, know more about the history of showbiz, that at the first table read, Bill and Vivian had not met in person. Vivian walks in with Lucille to the table read. Bill is already seated there. And she says loud enough for him to hear, you can't be serious. I'm married to that old coot. And Bill didn't take kindly to that. And Vivian was unapologetic. And from that second on, they were adversaries. And certainly you can argue that it it fed their on-camera relationship in a, a wonderful way, maybe. Viv doesn't like the jokes about Ethel being unappealing. Yeah, there's no one within the sound of her voice who doesn't know that. I said what I felt. You've been saying what you felt since the first day of work. It's not like you've suddenly given voice to your feelings. There's also the story that Nina Arianda, who plays Vivian, recounted that uh, Bill, who was much older and passed away before any the other three, that when Vivian was notified of Bill's passing, she said, champagne for everyone, <laughs> which is about as cold as it gets. More from my conversation with J.K. Simmons right after the break. What about the things you said to me? She said my mother looks like a weasel. I'm sorry your mother looks like a weasel. Now, Ethel. Well, he should have more consideration. After all, I gave him the best years of my life. Were those the best? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Were you a Lucy fan uh, growing up? Did you watch the show? I did, yeah. I was born during season four, I think. 
And I do remember uh, very early memories of watching Lucy and Desi and Fred and Ethel in black and white on my parents' little 12-inch little TV or grandma and grandpa's slightly bigger TV. And oddly looking back, and maybe I'm making this up, but I think I honestly remember as a little kid kind of thinking that Fred Mertz was just especially funny and wonderful. Hey, Rick, are you doing anything Monday night? I don't think so. It's my night off. Why? I'd like you to join me in commemoration of an 18-year-old tragedy. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's our wedding anniversary. Oh, you want us to join you in a celebration? I prefer to think of it as a grim reminder. Lucy's story, did you know much about the extended Lucy story, that, which we see a lot of in Being the Ricardos and which we dug deep into during the 10 episodes of our, uh, our podcast this year on Lucy? I really didn't. I didn't know what a remarkable couple she and Desi were, aside from Ricky Ricardo and Lucy Ricardo, that they were this really incongruous power couple in Hollywood in the 50s, you know, a woman and a Cuban immigrant who speaks English as a second language. For them to become what they became uh, is uh, just an extra testament to their brilliance and their hard work. I remember her a lot as a sort of this kind of this funny older lady as a, as a guest on Johnny Carson. And then when I, when I learned, and I learned most of it only researching for the film or speaking with Aaron, you know, all the events that he's compressed into the one week of, of our movie, her brush with the, the House on american Activities Committee and their battle to have the pregnancy actually occur on television. And I do remember that. I, I mean, I'm sure it was in reruns. And thinking how cool that was. I mean, my mommy had just been pregnant. You know, my brother is a little over four years younger than me. And to think that that was even an argument. And again, that Aaron portrays so wonderfully in the movie, that scene with the sponsor and the network guys and everything, and just how mind-boggling it was for them to even consider the possibility of a pregnant woman on television. Right. Then they'll know how she got pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You can't have a pregnant woman on television. Why not? Because it's television. We come into people's homes. Pregnant women often vomit. I know I could any second. May I say something? Frankly, I can't if wait. If Lucy Ricardo's pregnant, the audience's mind immediately goes to, how did she get that way? Lucy and Ricky sleep in separate beds. We'll be pushing the beds together, too. Oh, oh no, 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 no. So the Red Scare issue, that Lucy nearly lost everything there in the second season, that, I think, for most people in America, unaware of that moment in their lives. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I wish my parents were still around. Well, I wish my parents were still around. But uh, it would have been an interesting question to ask them what their awareness was in Michigan at the time, because uh, I was completely unaware that that had ever happened. Um, and uh, looking back now, it's like a, a little blip on the radar. But the sense of fear and panic that that, well, that the committee inspired in Hollywood specifically and in the world in general or in the country in general was uh, really intense for those people and uh, and again Aaron does such a lovely job of uh, condensing it turning it into this real pressure cooker where every character that we meet has stakes in this because all of their jobs depend on it the cynical part of me now as you look back on this awful time and really the darkest days that Hollywood has had and you see that you know Lucy 
signed a statement. I mean, the evidence against Lucy, I mean, it was stupid, but it was actually stronger than some people who lost their careers. Yeah. But what do you know? CBS's biggest moneymaker didn't go off the air. <laughs> that really the determinative factor was almost certainly what it always is, which was, you know, corporate greed and money. And that, that thankfully got us to the right decision, but that was the motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Money and power. And uh, yeah, as you said, it did get us to the right and fair outcome. The Plot Thickens will return right after this. I'm ready and eager to do a half-hour domestic comedy for CBS. If the role of my husband, let's call him Schmezzi, is played by Desi. Look, I'm not here to get a job for my nephew. Desi Arnaz is a phenomenally talented man. Not just a world-class musician, but a very good actor who would be a movie star if there was such a thing as a Cuban movie star. The movie does a really effective job being the Ricardos of the boldest thing that I think Lucy did was like, okay, to CBS, sure, I'll turn my radio show into a television show, but you're going to need to cast my husband, a Cuban-American. Right as my husband yeah. in 1951. Yeah. And amazing that she had enough clout at that time. And whether she was confident in that or not, I don't know. But, and I don't think Nicole or Aaron or, or anyone was certain enough of that. But we know that she had gotten to the position where she understood what was important and that the power of saying no, she did have that. And that power of saying no only works if you really mean no. So for her to be able to say, no, I won't do it without Desi playing my husband, you got to figure she was willing to walk away from it if if she had to. And obviously the, the landscape of, you know, the history of television would be vastly different. Let me tell you something about Desi. He runs this show. Every creative decision goes through him. Every business decision, the network, Philip Mars. And if that wasn't enough, he is camera ready on Monday. Takes me five days to get a laugh. He's killing it at the table read. And that man, believe me, is nobody's second banana. How many people know that? Know what? That Desi runs the show. Because we're at Turner Classic Movies and looking over your, uh, you know, your resume. And one thing that jumped out at me is that your output in 2021, and some of it I was voice, may have been just voiceover work or a small part. But, I mean, you got eight movies listed in, in, in 2021. And that is like 1940s studio contract player output. <laughs> what are your thoughts on how you would have fared not so much success-wise, but psychologically under this system where you're under contract to one studio and, and they just put you in movies and then you do what they say to do. We actors talk about it as the golden handcuffs. And, and I think the modern equivalent of that is doing a, you know, a, like a network television show, whether it's a procedural or a sitcom or whatever. You sign a six or seven year commitment, very one-sided commitment as an actor when you, uh, when you're fortunate enough to land on a network show. 
And if you're fortunate enough to have that show run, that's great, but it's less common that you're fortunate enough to have the show run and fortunate enough to have the show continue to be really a good creative experience. It's hard. It's hard to make a show for years that's both successful and still intelligent and interesting and challenging for the actors. One of my three or four closest friends in the world is an actor. He's similarly uh, uh, follically challenged as you are. And, and he has been told, and I'm curious of your reaction to this because it's crazy that people say it, but he has been told on auditions and he's had some success now that oh, well, we're looking for a J.K. Simmons type, right? And that, and that just seems to, you want to say to that person, have you, have you ever seen J.K.? The whole point of J.K. Simmons is that there is not a J.K. Simmons type. <laughs> you know, I had in my theater days, around the time of that 1990 Few Good Men, maybe a couple of years later, I was doing a uh, voiceover campaign for budget rent-a-car. And the voice was kind of a, oh, road warrior. It was almost a, a almost sort of 40s, 50s radio kind of hearkening back to that kind of over-the-top announcer voice. And I went into a voiceover audition, and they said uh, the specs for what they were looking for was, we were looking for something like that guy on the budget rent-a-car commercials. <laughs> and I said, well, that's, uh, that's me. I'm the, I'm the guy in the budget rent-a-car commercials. And the, and the casting director went, oh, great. Well, yeah, just do that. And uh, I did the audition. And, of course, I did not get the job. Yeah, of course. There's only, there could only be one end to that story. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, for a guy, again, who, you know, in 1990, you're a struggling theater actor, the way every theater actor is at, at their core struggling and nervous about the next job, uh, to be in a position now, uh, 30 years later, where you got actors going in and they're asking for J.K. Simmons types. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is surreal. And uh, as so many moments have been over the years in my ridiculously fortunate uh, career, because it's not like it came because I had a, a great plan or certain goals lined up or even, frankly, all that much ambition. I just, I fell in love with doing theater as a college music student in Montana when I got drafted to go up to the Big Fork Summer Playhouse and be the music director and ended up playing the lead in the musical. And uh, one thing has led to another, uh, much of it through no fault or design of my own. And uh, I mean, I'm insanely blessed and grateful. If you're enjoying The Plot Thickens, why not leave us a review or tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell everyone, tell your parents. For more about Lucy, check out our website, tcm.com slash theplotthickens. That's tcm.com slash theplotthickens. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. 
So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.